0: It's good to see the rain, isn't it? We do need it. Um, One of the themes we have going for this year is um, how then shall we live? And I guess that can um, encompass many things, can't it? But this morning in the how then shall we live, it's the cost of discipleship. And this morning the verses we're looking at will be in Luke chapter 14 verses 25 to 35. (coughs) I've seen to have got a croaky voice so excuse me if it's difficult to hear but I'll try and do my best. Now the cost of discipleship, now the cost of something is an interesting thing I find. Someone may be willing to pay $1,000 for a bars, a teacup, a piece of art, yet find the, find the idea of spending a $100 on a pair of shoes just not right. Yet another person would spend $400 on a pair of shoes but wouldn't spend $500 on tyres for their car. It's all, it tells us a bit about our priorities, doesn't it, and what our interests are. Now, the following uh, notes here are comments put on cards for the staff members at a wilderness park in the United States. And this is how it reads. These are, the help, these are the little cards that they slip in the box there. Remember, this is a wilderness park. It says, Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go up hills. <laughs> too many bugs, leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to get rid of these pests. <laughs> Please pave trails. Chairlifts need to be in some places so that we can get the views without having to hike. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. A small deer came into our camp and ate our jar of pickles. Is there any way I can be reimbursed? (laughs) Name and number inserted. Escalators would be great up the steep hill sections. A McDonald's at the trailhead would be useful. Too many rocks in the mountains. Now these comments tell us that these people didn't know what they were going into, did they? They didn't know what they were signing up for. They thought a wilderness experience was something different than what they got. And I guess on a serious note, having just had Anzac Day, I guess a lot of those soldiers that went off didn't know what they were getting themselves in for, did they? But these people here, they just didn't understand it. They just didn't get what a wilderness experience would be like. And I think sometimes we as Christians can be like that. We expect something that we're signing up for that's not a reality. To give some context to verses 25 this morning to 35, chapter 14 starts with Jesus having dinner at a prominent prominent Pharisee's house. Now this was not unusual on a Sabbath for the Pharisees to have people around for a meal so there's nothing unusual in that. And it was common for people to gather around a meal in this that day as it is now. And there was nothing unusual in that. But what the Pharisees had done was nothing unusual again is they laid a trap and they laid a trap for Jesus. You see it was the Sabbath and the Pharisees had set up a suffering man in front of Jesus. Now the Pharisees want to see if Jesus would break the law of the Sabbath, whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath. What do you think the Pharisee excuse me what do you think the Pharisees thought he would do? I think they knew what he would do, but they wanted to test him anyway. They knew that he could not do they knew that he couldn't stand by and do nothing. When there was a need in front of Jesus, he was predictable, wasn't he? He was predictable in his love, his kindness, his compassion, his mercy and his grace. The Pharisees knew that and they knew that he would do the loving thing. You know, there's a good point there for us, I believe. We should pray that that is what we have for ourselves and each other. We should ask God that we be predictable, that we be predictable when it comes to godliness, that we be predictable when it comes to love, joy, kindness, patience and peace. We should be unwilling to compromise in these things. It should be a natural overflow of being a disciple of Jesus. The next few verses to 25, Jesus goes on to teach them about humility and a few other things up to verse 25. And it's at verse 25 we start looking at today. The next ten verses deal with the issue of discipleship. When it comes to the issue of discipleship, do we know what God expects of us? Do we really understand what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now I gather, I bet if you went into a Christian bookstore there would be a multitude of books on discipleship, on how to live your life, on what you should and shouldn't do and I, I gather like Myself, you would have been in a situation where people are willing to tell you how you should live your life, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But this morning we're going to look not at a book or not get somebody's opinion, we're going to look at what Jesus said. It is to be a disciple. Starting at verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now that's a crowd thinner if ever you've heard one surely. Here is hundreds of, if not thousands of people that he's in front of. Now these are not the verses that I would recommend that we stick out the front of our church because they're not the sort of things that you would look at and they make you feel warm and comfortable inside and inviting, are they? But this is what Jesus said in these verses. Someone once said, that it wasn't the verses in the Bible that they didn't understand that concerned them. Sorry, let me repeat that. It's not the verses in the Bible... Oh, hang on, i will got read this. <laughs> Someone once said, it's not the verses in the Bible that I don't understand that perturb me, it's the verses that I do understand that bother me. Now, these verses fit that category, don't they? Any way you look at it, these verses are challenging. They are direct. They're not coated in sugar. They're straight to the point. They can even make us feel a little uncomfortable. You can't read these verses and brush them aside and say they're not relevant to me. You can't read these verses and say they're not an issue to our culture today. These verses are at least as relevant to us today as any time in history. Now the term used here for disciple is what we would call a Christian. They are one in the same. A disciple and a Christian are two different words for the same thing. It would be like if I, I can call Tracy my wife or my spouse. A Christian and a disciple are one in the same. Now, just to back that up there, there was a, in um, Acts 14:21 to 22, Paul and Barnabas were preaching and this is what they said. This is what, the Bible, this is what it says in the Bible. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. In Ephesians 2.8 it says 2, 8 to 10 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You do not start off as a Christian and progress to become a <coughs> disciple. If you have genuinely prayed the prayer and asked God into your heart, you are a disciple. Now, we all may be at different stages on that journey for various reasons, but you are a disciple. Now, the best analogy I could think of for a disciple in our world today would be an apprentice tradesperson when you start off as an apprentice you have a mentor or a teacher you have somebody that guides and instructs you on that journey the mentor teaches the apprentice and the apprentice observes the mentor and this can ha- this happens over a long period of time 4 years in most cases in our state anyway and you know i've seen a lot of apprentices over the years and come across them in various forms of my work and it's interesting because sometimes you see an apprentice do something and you think that's the way his mentor does the same thing. They observed and they took on board what was mentored. And this is what being a disciple is. It's following the teacher. When Jesus said, come follow me, that's what he meant. Listen to what I say, observe what I do and then do likewise. We are the apprentice and he is the teacher or the master. If you are not a disciple today, there is an invitation for you to become one. The invitation is always there to become a disciple. Verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now does this mean we are to hate our father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, the people around us? No, because that would contradict so many things in God's word, wouldn't it? What he is saying here is love less. Love those things less. Get your priorities right. Get your love priorities right and in doing this you will love the people around you even more. (coughs) By following the Master you can become like him and if you get your vertical relationship right it will help your horizontal relationships. By calling ourselves disciples there should be no greater love in our life than our loyalty to him. That is the most important thing in our life. You know, early in the chapter it had the parable of the great feast and this shows how our priorities in our life should not be. People or objects should not take priority over our love of God. And if we get this right and understand the true value of people and things and objects we will get our vertical relationship right and that will enhance our earthly relationships. You know, before we became a Christian or a disciple, our life was centred around ourselves or maybe other people or maybe even other things. We had our own thing going on, didn't we? When we became Christians, we in effect, we surrendered that up There was a shift in power and it reminds me of the verse that says, it's no longer I that liveth but Christ that liveth in me. Instead of self-centred we became Christ-centred. Instead of looking at things in what can I get out of this we should be asking what would God have us do? What is his will for us in this? Not how does this benefit me. Getting the vertical relationship right is critical in this. It is the most important thing that we can do. It helps you get your own perspective right. With Christ as the centre of our lives, we will be wanting to model our lives on him. Being the Apprentice, we should look to the Master. He has given us the perfect example to follow. Sometimes when we hear this, we think, what is he going to ask me to do? What will I need to give up? Where will I need to go? What's it going to cost me? And fear can sometimes overcome us. When you can truly make Christ the centre of your life, you don't need to fear anything. We don't need to be thinking, what's in this for me? How will this benefit me? When we live a Christ-centred life, he will look after those things. We become less concerned about ourselves and more focused on him. Look, I stand here today personally a better person for having become a disciple of God. I can also tell you that when I allow God to be my guiding master and the centre of my life, he does a far greater job of this than I could ever do. You know, he has taken such good care of me. My life has been fulfilling. It's productive, fruitful and full of blessings when I choose to let him be the centre of my being. You know, even though I fail as a Christian and I will continue to do so, he wants the very best for my life as he does for you. You know, I've heard people say and discuss this with me over many years, that when they let their personal relationship with Christ slip, they became a person they didn't really like. Things their old nature came to the fore, and it showed up the things that they didn't really like in their life. You know, God's way is always the best way. Verse twenty-seven: And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, this is not a physical cross. It's a daily identification with Christ. It's surrendering to God's will. Death to self, a Christ-centred life, a willingness and a desire to serve him. Living for the things of God, not for the things of this world. We need to have a mindset that we will yield all to him, that we will withhold nothing and that we will lay it all over to him. Like I said, these are confronting verses, aren't they? There's nothing, it's hard to present them in a way that sugarcoats them and I'm not trying to do that because these are Jesus' words, they're not mine. This is what he said. I don't know what this means to you. I don't know what you may be holding back, if anything, from God. But what I would do is encourage you to yield it to him. Hand that thing over that may be holding you back. If you struggle with this, like we all do, maybe you need to ask someone you trust to work through this with you. You need to get to that place where you are willing to yield it all to him without holding anything back. Verse 33 says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now you need to count the cost. Unless you are willing to forsake everything, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you are willing to take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you love me supremely, you cannot be my disciple. The terms of discipleship are not easy. They are harsh. That is the way it is. They are severe. And it is wrong when we tell people that if you just accept Jesus, your worries are over. If you come to Jesus, your life will be smooth sailing. If you come to Jesus, you won't need to concern yourself with anything else. Everything will be terrific. That is not the case. I think sometimes when we become a disciple, problems start to begin. We have conflicts going on. Like Maz said this morning, it causes grief in relationships. It can do things to you that make you feel uncomfortable and that is one of the costs of being a disciple. The Lord never said it would be easy. He said it's going to be tough and you better sit down and count the cost. Do not get started in this if you don't think you can finish it or if you're not willing to finish it, do not embark on this. You need to take an account and determine whether or not you are really willing to pay the cost. Are you willing to pay this price to go all the way through from woe to go? Because unless you are willing to forsake everything, you really can't be my disciple. These are hard words, aren't they? They're tough. But I believe when we come to the Lord and say, I want you to be my saviour, I understand that you died on the cross for my sins and I want forgiveness of my sins and I'm asking you to be Lord of my life. In effect what you are saying is I hand everything over to you. Everything I have is yours. All my possessions, all my relationships, all my dreams, all my ambitions are yours. I'm handing them over to you. You know the word forsake means to say goodbye to it to get to leave it to be willing to leave it because of who you are and what you have done for me I'm willing to let it go if you really want him to be lord of your life you need to be willing to let it go now in some cases he may ask you to let something of significance go you need to be willing to do it. I think we, as in the church, I think we're scared to lay out out the realities of the Christian life in this way. To non-believers and even to new Christians, we're scared to lay it out this way. I think we feel it will scare them away. But Jesus didn't feel this way, did he? A lot of people I come across in my daily work and various things that I do, they are over the thing called spin. It's a nice word for a lie, I think. But people are over it that I deal with in a lot of ways. You know, we get it from our politicians. We get it from our sporting clubs. We get it from sports people, newspapers, TVs, a whole lot of things we get told things that we know that aren't really the facts. And I think spin has become our second language and I think even in the church we are in danger of this. You know, I believe that we as believers, if we are living for the Lord and fully submitted to him, the opposite may happen. I think people are looking for authenticity in life, They are searching for what is real. They're over the spin, the lies, the deceit. They have just had enough of it. They are searching for the real things in life, the authentic things. I read once where it asked what, went through a whole list of questions and asked what did people dislike about Christians and it went through a few things They weren't necessarily perturbed that they read the Bible, went to church, um, even spoke about their faith in an open way. But what bothered these people most was if they were hypocrites. That's what perturbed people most. And I think that's true, isn't it? No one likes a hypocrite, as they say. Verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay a foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now remember at the start of verse 14, Jesus was saying this to hundreds if not thousands of people and my sort of understanding of this is that some were true disciples and others were bystanders and observers. (coughs) So he didn't say this to a small select group of his disciples. He said this to the general public. He turned to them and he said, let me explain to you what is required of you. If you wish to be my disciple, make sure you can count the cost before you start the project in the same way as you start a building project. Or anything that undertakes an outlay of money, you you need to look at the start. You look at the end while you're at the start. Make sure you can count the cost before you start the project. Don't start this without fully grasping what it will cost. When you choose to follow Jesus Christ, it's not just about today. It's about having an end in mind. I guess you could understand with the multitudes following Jesus that you might get caught up in the miracles going on, the healings, the things that Jesus was doing, and the euphoria that was going on there. And maybe you might stand there and think, this seems like a nice lifestyle choice today. Jesus is saying to them and to us, don't do it. Don't start without knowing what you're signing up for. We do a bit of work around uh, the inner city area and there's a house in Port Melbourne that um, I reckon has been getting built for 15 years. It's on a corner of two reasonably main roads. It's got a Builder's fence around it, and it's got up until six months ago, it had weeds half a metre to a metre high. The timber frame was constructed and it was grayed off, it was twisted, it was warped, it was, de- it was even decaying, if it had been there that long. Now, I, I, like I said, I drove past this place off and on for years, nothing changed. It looked the same. It just, well, actually changed. It got worse. It deteriorated. And when I was at the hardware one day, I was talking to the owner there and we were just talking I said, what's the go with that house up the road there? Oh, he said, that house. He said, "Um, the builder went broke. They got 30, 40% into the project and the funds ran out and he couldn't complete it. You know, it's a good illustration, isn't it? Of you need to know what you're embarking on when you start something, a project like that. And it's the same, that's what Jesus is asking us about our, when we become a, a disciple. For many years, actually, sorry, when you make a commitment to follow Jesus, He wants your lifelong journey. You know, we would all be aware of people who started out on the journey with very solid beginnings but for various reasons have fallen by the way. The Christian life is likened to a marathon. It requires endurance, persistence, all those things to get through. For many years I had a mentor who I used to meet with every most months Um, But a couple of years ago, his job situation changed, and I couldn't easily catch up with him. When I was away over Christmas, I was contemplating many things, and one of them was that I would like to engage with a mentor again. So when I came home, I, I while I was away, I prayed and see if I could find somebody that would suit the need. And somebody came to mind. When I came home, I found their number and rang them up and sort of engaged them. And I said, I'm looking for a mentor. Would you be willing to do it? He said, Give me a couple of weeks and I'll get back to you. He did get back to me. He said, I need to know something from you before I agree to do it. I said, That's fine. He said, What do you want out of this? And I'd been thinking, fortunately, I'd been thinking about this. And I had two things in mind. The first one was, I didn't want to become a cynical Christian. And the second one was, I want to finish my Christian walk well. I want to see it through to the very end with my focus on God as my guiding influence. And he said, that's fine, let's do it. You know, salvation is free, but it is not cheap. Salvation is free for you and it's free for me, but it is not cheap. You cannot earn it. But Jesus wants it. He wants your life, your whole life. The Christian life, it's not easy. It doesn't say it's easy. It's a battle, it's a war, it's described as all these things. And you will struggle with it at times. And the reality is, we will fall down. We will fail but you know what? God will pick you up, he will dust you off and you will continue on the journey. It is God's desire that we finish the race well and he gives us everything we need to do this. Verse 34, salt is good but if it loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. As I said, these are not easy. They're, I find they're easy to understand, but they're not easy to do, are they, or live out. The question for us is not, can I do this? The question for us is, am I willing? Am I willing to do this? Am I willing to pay the price? Am I willing to hand it over to God? Am I willing to say, I want you to be the centre of my life? Am I willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to pay that cost? I've got a little story to finish off with and then we'll pray. You can listen to this story with your eyes closed or open or however you feel comfortable to do, that's fine. It's out of a book that I read many years ago, and I remember reading it, and it impacted me then, and it had disappeared out of my life, and it, I came across it through various means a year or two ago. It's by Max Licardo, and I'm going to read it, and then I'll pray, and then we're done, and then we'll have a cup of tea and coffee, or whatever you prefer. It's quiet. It's early, my coffee is hot The sky is still black The world is still asleep The day is coming In a few moments the day will arrive It will roar down the track with the rising of the sun The stillness of dawn will be exchanged for the noise of the day The calm of solitude will be replaced by the pounding pace of human race The refuge of the early morning will be invaded by decisions to be made and deadlines to be met. For the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. It is now that I must make a choice. Because of Calvary, I am free to choose. And so I choose. I choose love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today I will love God and what God loves. I choose joy. I will invite God to be the God of my circumstance. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical, the tool of the lazy thinker. I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. I choose peace. I will live forgiven. I will forgive so that I may live. I choose patience. I will overlook the inconveniences of the world. Instead of cursing the one who takes my place, I invite him to do so rather than complain that the wait is too long, I will thank God for the moment to pray. Instead of clenching my fist at new assignments, I will face them with joy and courage. I choose kindness. I will be kind to the poor, for they are alone, kind to the rich, for they are afraid, and kind to the unkind, for such is how God treated me. I choose goodness. I will go without a dollar before I take a dishonest one. I will be overlooked before I will boast. I will confess before I will accuse. I choose goodness. I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. My debtors know what will not regret my their trust. My associates will not question my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children will never fear their father will not come home. I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. If I raise my voice, may it be only in praise. If I clench my fist, may it be only in prayer. If I make a demand, May only be of myself. I choose self-control. I am a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose self-control. I will be drunk only with joy. I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by God. I will be taught only by Christ. I choose self-control, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. To these I commit my day. If I succeed I will give thanks. If I fail I will seek his grace. And then when this day is done I will place my pillow, place my head on my pillow and rest. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we know when we open it that we read the truth and we hear you speak to us. I thank you for that. I pray now for these words that we read this morning. I pray that you'll help us to apply them to our lives. I pray that you'll Help us to hand over that thing to you that we may be holding back. Lord, we know you know that this is not easy for us but you also know that we understand what we have heard this morning and I pray that through your spirit you will help us to do this. I pray now as we depart that you'll be with us until we meet again. Amen.